Blog Talk Radio. Well, here I am back on radio. I know some of you are not surprised by that, right? Because I say that like three times a year that I'm going to stop doing radio. And here I am. And I have to tell you that one of the reasons why I go back to radio is because of the show that I'm having today and many other reasons. So many people are so very kind in their regard of of my work and the things that I do and uh, my interviews and my writing. And I appreciate that very much. So I just wanted to start off my show by saying thank you so much to the many people who are so very gracious and kind and talk about my work and my efforts. That means a great deal. I say this publicly and I mean this greatly that without people who listen in and luckily for me, there's five digits of you that do that every single month, I wouldn't have a show, I wouldn't have anyone to talk to, and no one would be listening, and well, what the hell would be the point of that? So I'm very, very, very grateful. I appreciate that more than I can tell you, and uh, some of us always get a little pissed off, and there's a few things going on in my life, so I need a little cool-off point, and um, at some point in time, if not today, tomorrow, I'll be posting up my career changes and some of the shifts arounds and things that I find necessary for my own life. So again, and I say this, but I probably don't say it enough. Thank you so much to everybody who supports me, who listens, who bats me, who puts up with me, who tolerates my bullshit, so to speak. Oh, God, I'm a bad radio host. I'm swearing a lot today. Um, so before we talk to Phil today, because Phil is uh, the focal point of the entire show, I just wanted to remind everybody today, my show is at 1 o'clock, of course, which will start shortly. My next interview is going to be this coming Friday, and it's a fellow author, and I'm always excited to introduce the world to different books, different people, different stuff. Steve, and his last name is spelled Nagy, that's N-A-G-Y, and that's 2 o'clock Central Standard Time on Friday, that's September 30th. Then October 1st, depending on whether I am home or out of town, either way, I'm introducing the world to Vanessa Weiss, and that's going to be at 10 o'clock Central Standard Time. Vanessa is a very dear friend of mine. She's actually a transgender individual who has actually got a GoFundMe account that's trying to raise funds to have her operation. She's a transgender who's transitioning, and she needs some help. And so she's got a lovely story, and I can't wait to introduce everybody to her, and and hopefully you'll all be able to get a chance to help her out. So I'm so sorry, Phil. He's probably sitting here patiently waiting and wondering when the hell is she going to get on the radio. So without further ado, I'm not even going to explain who this man is because he's so awesome he can explain himself. So without further ado, let's talk to Phil. Hi. How are you? Sorry. I was rambling. (laughs) I was taking care of show business is what I was doing. Hi. (laughs) Well, you know, you're in show business, and that's that's the way it works. Yeah, right. Give me a break. Um, the the person <laughs> I'm talking to is far more popular than I am right now, and I'm terribly nervous. So, like, hopefully in the first 10 minutes, this will all go away. Because you're like a big celebrity and superstar. According to this, the celebrity interview with Phil, that's you. Oh, boy. Hi. Oh, boy. No pressure. <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? Nothing like making him feel bad. Okay, so I have a lot of really important questions because there's 58,000 people listening. That's a lot of people. Okay. So I guess I have to bring my That's A, a game. And I have a lot of – I know it is, but this is a very yes. important cause for a very important person. So we need to recruit mm-hmm. a lot of people. So I have to be on my A game. And I've had some really good exceptional questions that I have for you, and I'm going to start out with probably the most important question of the entire interview. Are you ready? Sure. Are you sure? And Maybe. I know this, so folks, this, <laughs> this question comes exactly from your Facebook page because when I research okay. people, I creep on their pages. So I was creeping on okay. your page. Um, <laughs> okay. And so I was just wondering, one of the things that he made it a point of putting on his Facebook page is how important it is to him that Brad and Angelina broke up. <laughs> I saw this. He's oh, got this big picture. <laughs> 
<laughs> you want to tell him what's on your Facebook page right now? He's like, I'm the one who doesn't give a fuck about Brad and Angelina, which I don't either, obviously. But I was like, I should still ask him about that. Or I, we should know, talk about Pat. Yeah, I'm, you know, Go ahead. I'm sure there's some people that, that do care. I mean, you know, I guess uh, there's actually a lot of people have said that, you know, that's probably pretty correct because there, you know, there's so many other things going on and, you know, life is, life is so much bigger in so many ways that, you know, it's, it's tough to really kind of focus in on, on something like that, I guess. No, no, I totally know what you're talking about. I was just talking about the same thing the other day. It was so funny. I was like, there's literally campaigns of people and PR and publicists that are wrapping around all sorts of game plans about how they're going to spin this whole Brad and Angie thing. And I'm like, oh, these poor people. And thank you very much, by the way. To those of you that follow me, we all know that I like three things. I like men without shirts on. I like men who have tattoos. And I like men with muscles. So what does Phil do? He puts those people on his page. He's got a guy on there with tattoos and no shirt. And I'm like, dude, thanks for the hookup there. Just for you, Cindy. Oh, yeah, baloney. I don't think so. If anything, (laughs) Phil has a very good sense of humor, actually. Um, So because there's so much to talk about, I kind of want to start at the beginning. The the main way that I knew Phil in the very first place, in the very beginning, was obviously he plays in a Milwaukee band called the Rhythm Kings, which, of course, Marcel has been obviously on my show before. He's done this stint. Marcel and I are good friends, and I'm a huge supporter of anything he does, including all of his bands, which you are a part of. Phil plays guitar in the band. Obviously, you had a little bit of a hiatus until recently. Um, so talk to me a little bit, because I don't know your background, musically speaking. How you got started in playing guitar? Can you sing besides playing guitar? And most importantly, how music plays such an integral part of your life? Well, I mean, uh, uh, to correct you, I am actually the bass player, so I don't get all the chicks the way guitar players do. But, oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> as a bass player you know I, I i'm the guy in the shadows that nobody sees and you know and if but if i stop playing then they, they would go, what, there's something wrong you know but um i mean i've been, i've gone back my you know uh my mom was very musical growing up uh turned me on to a lot of um a lot of the great you know the classic you know uh singers and such um but you know started playing like most people like in high school and uh, started, uh, you know, getting in uh, bands and things like that and kind of, um, you know, making our, making the rounds and trying to have some fun playing some music and, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, have a chance to uh, play some of the bigger venues and uh, things like that, Summerfest being one of them, uh, and just getting around. And I've been fortunate enough to, to uh, stay in the business long enough to where, you know, I get to play those things and I get to, you know, uh, stand in front of a bunch of people who are having a, a great time, you know, and, and be part of it. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a, it's a wonderful, uh, it's a wonderful feeling. Did I miss you? Oh, I'm sorry. Did I lose you? I'm Hi. sorry. I thought I lost you. scared me half to death. I'm sorry. Okay. We're both here. Because I'm like talking to you and I'm like, what happened to him? Where did he go? (laughs) Um, Okay, now that we're back. But yeah, like I I said, it's been... uh, Go ahead. Mm -hmm. No, 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 go ahead. We're talking about the Rhythm Kings. Yeah, yeah, like I said, it's it's been a lot of fun being able to play music, you know, with Marcel and and the rest of the guys in the band and uh it's been uh it's been a real joy you know being part of you know people's musical experience and you know people you know enjoying music and getting out and 
enjoying the uh, everything about it. So it's been uh, it's been a, a, a wonderful time, you know, uh, you know, doing that. I gotcha. Now, because I know the band obviously, and I know the, the quality and the competency, and I know you guys play all over the place. Um, we have to do some major pimping of the band because I'm all about self-promotion on the show because it's my name on the show, <laughs> so I can talk about whatever I want. So tell everybody in the entire world that's listening right now, whether they come to Wisconsin or they live here, why should they come and see the Rhythm Kings? Why, why, why? Besides the fact you're in well, the band and Marcel's awesome. And the, the Rhythm Kings are a fun band. I mean, the Rhythm Kings are all about, you know, they're about, you know, getting people included into what's going on on the stage. You know, there's a there's a lot of bands that play a lot of great music, and they're bands that I follow and I, I love to listen to. Uh, but the Rhythm Kings are different in the sense that you know they it's not really it it's not a lot of fun to us when we play in front of a crowd that's gonna just kind of stand there and not <laughs> interact not interact with us. We we love people singing along. We love people interacting uh, as much as possible with the band. And I think that's that's kind of the uh, the main thing of the band. Explanation. And if we wanted to go see the Rhythm Kings in the near future, we would go where and when? Hmm. Um, right now, let's see. There's um, we do a lot of private things, uh, weddings and right. such. Um, and right right now, I know Saloon on Calhoun. We have some dates coming up there. I believe there's something in January. Uh, I believe there's something in March, and th- that's probably that's probably one of the best venues, uh, one of the best musical venues in town. Period, um, to to go and see live right. music. But uh, yeah, we're not there until around that time, I'd say. Gotcha. Okay, I just want to double check and make sure. I was going to double check with Marcel, and I just didn't have time, so I thought, well, I'm going to go on the show, so let's talk to him about that. Absolutely. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Well, I expect you to know everything because you're perfect in my head. See, there's just some people well, that are just perfect. So, you know, what can I say? I know, I know. I, yeah, no. We're all failing and make all sure, flawed Make sure bit. they all know that I'm perfect. Yeah, okay. I'll be sure to post that up every day after I post up your GoFundMe account. Who's that perfect guy we were talking to the radio about with smart-ass mouth? And, yes, he does have a smart-ass mouth like every five minutes. Watch his wall. Really? You'll see what I'm talking about. I'm just saying. <laughs> Okay, on to the next thing, because, again, as good of a journalist as I am, there are just some things I can't find out. Um, Obviously, I see that you attended Nathan Hill High School, and I know some of the old employers that you've been with. So um, talk to me a little bit about your educational background, meaning did you proceed on to college? What was your original goal? I mean, obviously, I know you used to work for Barry Plastics. We've talked about that before. But just kind of give everybody a sense of where you've come from and and educationally speaking, what you had originally wanted to be and in terms of uh, occupationally. Yeah, I mean, uh, basically, I, I, I went to, uh, did a little bit of college uh, out here in Waukesha at Carroll College. Uh, not very much, though, but I think the, the goal um, from the beginning was to play music. And <laughs> coming from a, a blue-collar background in West Dallas, uh, from where my dad came from, uh, that really was kind of a crazy idea. Uh, in fact, it was a very crazy idea. In fact, all my friends were, were going to work, and my friends were you know, off uh, starting jobs and careers and such. Uh, and I chose to join a band and go on the road when I was, uh, uh, how old was I, about 19 there. Uh, and, oh, my uh, gosh. And play music. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, you know, 
wasn't very glamorous. We were on the Holiday Inn tour, but I mean, it was it was uh, it was interesting, and it you know it it got, it got the bug started uh, going for me that I could actually make some money uh, doing sure. this, and uh, it was uh, it was fun. It was interesting. Oh my God, that is absolutely too funny. The Holiday Inn tour. How cool is that? <laughs> the Holiday now, Inn tour. Yes. That's exactly right. Uh, now, I'm just curious to ask this because you brought that up, and you were much younger at that point in time, and I know that your son Tyler is 18 years old. Does he kind of carry that same musical aspiration or creative side to himself, or um, has he not formulated that yet? No, he really has not. In fact, um, as much as I have talked about music, played music, um, you know, and, and him being exposed to music his whole entire life, um, he has chose to do other things, so and that's great. I I totally support whatever whatever he does and whatever direction he wants to go in. But it's it's kind of okay. surprising to me that you know he's uh, decided to you know he became a uh, you know a uh, he's a kind of a gearhead <laughs> for lack of a better really yeah he loves cars and you know I was just talking with my mother in law the other day and she's like where did this come from I said I have no idea. Um, but uh, he loves his car, and uh, like I say, I support him in uh, his quest to someday have the perfect car, but I don't think that'll ever happen. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Listen to this. Does he know um, – have you taught him how to play bass, or does, is he musically inclined at all? Yeah, I've tried a couple of times. We've, we've gone over some things. Uh, he had a friend who was also uh, aspiring to play some music, and uh, – um, and, uh, you know, so, I mean, he looked, you know, he, he kind of gave it a, you know, a little, a little try there and stuff like that. But, you know, you can kind of tell when, it, when the, when the, the light goes off and they, you know, somebody's really, really, really interested in, and you can tell when somebody isn't, you know, so, and, uh, like I say, it's, it, it wasn't his thing. I mean, he still has, I think he still has great taste in music, which, you know, that, you know, that can always be a disaster when, when somebody starts, you know, down the path of music and they, they can go in all kinds of crazy directions. But, uh, sure. I mean, I, I taught him all the classics, so <laughs> he knows the difference oh, between Led cool. Zeppelin, you know, I mean, you know, all those types of things. <laughs> no, I totally get it. I understand completely. And from what I see here, and I can't believe I did not know this, but apparently for the last two years, you've been living life as a vegan. Is that correct? Uh, a temporary, a temporary vegan. <laughs> I, I, I knew it. I, I I'm weak. I'm weak. You know, my my sister has been a vegetarian for a number of years, and she's uh, tried to encourage me, you know, to live the lifestyle. And you know, in this state, <laughs> it's it, it's tough when they're they're throwing sausage in your face and there's you know giant steaks and hamburgers. It's it's a it's a tough right. place to uh, to pull it off. I mean. Uh, but I, I've I've had my moments. I've had I've gone my spells, and you know it's like a guy trying to quit smoking. You know, it's, you know sometimes right. it's, sometimes it's futile. So. No, and I totally get what you're talking about. And folks, just so you know, because obviously to know me is to love me, and not everyone loves me, and I get defriended for this a lot. And I'm going to talk about this on actual radio, even though I don't want to. Okay. It would appear that Phil's a Packer fan. Yay! <gasps> Joy! <gasps> Wonderful! Great! <gasps> He's a football fan. That kind of sucks. So okay, so let's talk I'm about so this hurt. a minute because you're a football fan. <laughs> okay. it's, yeah. I'm not going to, like, hold it. I won't hold it against you that you're a Packer fan. It's okay. I, I think I can handle it. Um, a lot of you 
people are out there and you live in a delusional land where you think they're cool and that's fine. But this is what I want to talk to you about actually, because I have, um, and I think I even posted this up. Um, I'm having the guy come on from the concussion movie, the real life concussion guy, the scientist that discovered okay. the whole concussion slash brain CTE thing. Now he's been making mm-hmm. some very bold statements lately about, um, and, two things that come to mind and I'm just curious because you, you seem to be a pretty diehard fan. So you'd be honest with me about this. Two things he brings to mind. First of all is he claims that there is absolutely no piece of equipment out there, period, or can there be one that will fully protect the human brain, whether it's an adult, whether it's a child, they're going to swish their head around like a jellyfish basically. And that's a huge issue. Second of all, um, you know, in the last studies that they had, 87 out of 90 football players will develop CTE. And CTE, of course, affects you. You know, it's almost right. like similar to Alzheimer's. And you can't really discover right. it until a person or a player dies. So right. I'm just curious. Um, you know, I know obviously most football fans watch the game because they have a love of the sport. But, you know, when you hear something like that, does that ever make you worry about these people or you wonder why are they doing this? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's it, it's a little crazy. But, I mean, you know – it's um, it's it's tough to explain why somebody would go to those lengths to play football. I mean, right. I love football, like you said. I you know I love to watch it. I'm a you know I'm a, I'm a pretty diehard Packer fan. But yeah, right. when you you know see things like that of you know what can happen to you after the game is over, um, it, it's it, it kind of it really makes you question what uh, what goes through somebody's mind when they when they they make those choices. But you know, it, football has been around for a number of years, and there's been uh, uh, the the information that we're getting now is uh, hasn't always been there. So it's it, it's a slow right. process, and we're you know now only getting to see um, what some of the effects are. Sure, oh, definitely, and it is scary, you know. And obviously, as a mother to two boys, you know, I've ra- I have an older son, and I also have my two younger boys. It is scary, you know. It's it's difficult. You you want oh, your yeah. children to go out and have a good time and play, but it's like. You know, there are studies out there saying that a kid under 18, your brain's not developed. You play, you know, hard on football. You, you know, you're kind of playing with danger, so to speak. It makes a mom a little nervous. Right. I think us moms are just right. nervous about all that stuff. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> One of those things. Well, I know. But that's, that's okay. That's what, mom, that's what moms do. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. If you're really nice to me, I may get you a little sign something from Gilbert Brown. Would that make you all happy since you're all of course hackerish? Of course. I love Gilbert. Uh, the grave digger. I love him. Are you really serious? Well, then maybe we should just not get you something. Maybe we should just have you meet him. How about that? Have you met him? I, I have actually met him. He. Uh, oh he was, well, then never mind. Uh, we, okay. Well, I mean, I still like the guy. The guy's, you know, the guy's still. Uh, he's still the grave digger, you know, from uh, from Aww. the years with Brett Favre and the, the Super Bowl. And I'll stop gushing now, and you know, all that. Oh, that's nice. You have a man crush. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Not really. It's actually kind of gross, actually. No, I just talked to him the other day, actually. I texted him. And, it, and it's weird because you guys are you guys are all funny. You're like, oh, my God, she was texting Gilbert Brown. And I'm all like, what's the big deal? It's Gilbert Brown. You know what I mean? I'm kind of like over that. I'm like, oh, okay, it's a football player to me. You know, but I totally get that whole whatever you want to call it. So the only other question I have relative to football, because I don't waste more than four minutes on that stuff is this i want you to explain this to me this is one of the reasons okay. why i got a problem with these packer people okay do none of you see that okay people are wearing cheese on their head does that not look yeah. stupid to anyone else but me because i'm like they're you you wear cheese on your head some of you people i don't i don't understand that what's what's happening well actually i mean it was it was funny years ago because i, I think green bay was one of the first teams that you know started doing that but now actually if you look around the nfl there's 
there's other teams out there that are, you know, moving in that trend. There was another one. I, I saw one recently. I can't forget uh, which team it was. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's strange. But, you know, um, strange. what can you say? <laughs> pretty, pretty hard to defend, you know. I mean, the, uh, the yeah. oddity of it. <laughs> it's a little weird. That's way more than a little weird. But, okay, in your head, that's all right. I just want to be there. Hey, congratulations. I heard you took like a half an inch closer to getting season ticket game. Or season ticket holder, oh, right? Yeah. You're like only like number closer. sixty thousand right now. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's only you. been they, you they, know, ten they, years or something. Ten years. That's a Phil's <laughs> <laughs> gonna be waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And you'll you'll be back to perfect health by then. It'll be absolutely awesome. You'll be able to go to the Packer games, it'll be great. It'll be terrific. That would be Okay. That would be the absolute that would be a plan that I would love. There you go. And just so you know, Gilbert Brown, we love you. Especially Phil, apparently, and I don't need you to meet him because apparently he has now. So, so much for that little bribe I was going to give you. Thanks a lot. Okay, moving on to the next thing. Just so you folks know, and just so you know too, Phil, we're kind of going to the, the actual personal parts of him because I want you to obviously identify him as a human being and that there's all sorts of really cool things about him before we get to a little more serious things and reasons why we're here. So, rumor has it, uh, you got a girlfriend, Amber. Yes, 2013, they've been yes, together three years. Um, yeah, he's kind of like almost, I don't know if I want to say this word, married, because don't let's say, look, they just got a new it. dog named Cooper. Just got a dog the I, other yes. day named Cooper. Yes, got the girlfriend living there. Hmm. <laughs> what are we missing? Hmm. Let me, I, I don't know, know. Phil, what are we I missing there? I can't think of it. Uh, I don't know. I really left hand. Left hand. <laughs> left hand. Something missing uh, on that finger, I'm bet. No, mm-hmm. yeah, five fingers. I don't know. I think yeah, the I next fingers. natural step might be I don't know. Say it with me. <sighs> I think no. marriage, maybe. <laughs> I I don't know. I've heard that word maybe somewhere before. So um, I know I'm not going to ask that question. I could, but I already know the answer somewhat. In any case, this is primarily what I want to ask about Amber. Um, and I'll start okay. off by telling the folks that don't know about Amber. I was very fortunate when I went to Milwaukee Harley to meet her for the first time. Um, and I'd like to believe I'm a good sense of character and even more so I'm a good heart reader. And what I can tell you about this woman in the first 10 minutes that I met her without her saying much of anything is that she has a perseverance and a passion for this man. And, and what I find most admirable about her is she she loves him very purely and very deeply, and I don't even think that she sees that he has a heart issue whatsoever. She sees him completely for who he is, and I have to tell you how admirable that is, and I have to also tell you folks that she is moving heaven and earth 24-7 to make sure that this man has everything he needs. So from me to you, Amber, which I've already told her, but I will tell my listening audience, um, I'm very proud to call her my friend and very proud to know her. I'm very blessed, um, and I feel very fortunate. But since you are her partner, this is my question to you. Um, As far as Amber goes, obviously, you two are partnerships in this. And and explain to me, what do you think is the most most special part of your relationship? What is it about your relationship with this person that makes this plight that you have much easier for you? Um, Well, her her diligence and her... um, her outlook has been amazing. I mean, I, I try to keep looking forward and um, there are moments where that can be kind of hard to do. And she, what she does is she um, has shown me early, early on during this um, uh, uh, 
um, the uh, the hard pump issue when when we they first put that in. It was uh, a struggle to kind of keep things moving it forward and keep keeping my life together uh, from a hospital bed. And she did um, so many amazing things that I never thought at the time. You know, uh, two people who are dating were capable of, um, and that's sure. exactly where we were at the time. We were. We were dating, obviously, for a couple of years at that point, um, but there was never any talk of marriage um, or any anything like uh, along those lines, moving in together, any of that. Um, and uh, when I was faced with uh, this major uh, change in my life and uh, a major, you know, um, you know, a major change in, in my life, it was sure. difficult to see how that was going to be going forward. Uh, I've been I've been divorced for a couple of years. Uh, I just really had my son around me, li- living with me part time. It was hard to to see how this was going to work, and she has um, she has stepped up in so many ways um, to being an amazing person. Nothing short of amazing. So basically, she almost sounds like I don't know marriage material. Would, would that be the word? I think it is, right? Maybe. I don't even know why. I don't even know why she's with a schlunk like me. I don't even know. <laughs> oh my gosh! Are you serious about that? Don't you tell her that. that. Yeah. Oh, I hope she's not listening. Don't I tell don't, her that. Right, she's not listening, but she will listen, and she will hear this. <laughs> right. Just so you know, by yeah, the way, okay. along with oh, fifty-eight thousand yeah. other people. So be careful, Phil. Now, just out of curiosity, and and. For the listening audience, it was very sad. It made me very sad because I know a few days ago she ended up having to go to the emergency room, and of course she's got a nasty viral infection. So we all want to know, of course, how we do it. How's our little lady doing now? She's doing much better, much better. Um, she was down, you know, for a few days last week, and right. kind of, you know, it kind of progressed to the point where it was, you know, we ended up going to the ER because uh, uh, she really just couldn't deal with it, and and. To be fair, I mean, she can deal with a lot, and I've seen her deal with quite a bit. And uh, I was very surprised when she said that she needed to do that. Um, so that was that was kind of a surprise for both of us. <laughs> oh, I imagine so, definitely. And, you know, I was reading her post, and, and the thing is, and God love her, and, again, I'm going to spot about Amber just a wee bit, but um, – you know, she's very much like I am in some ways. We're both very candid. If we feel like crap, you're going to know we feel like crap. If we're exhausted, if we're, you know, she, she's very human, even though she's very tough and very strong and she's like determined and we're going to do this and it's going to work and it's going to be great. And then she has these weak moments where she's just like, you know what, this is a little much for me. And, I, and my heart goes to her because she's just a little trooper. She's like a little energizer battery. Like, I think I can, I think I can. And um, <laughs> that's very vital for you. And I think that's way awesome. So shout out to you, Miss Amber. That's absolutely awesome. Now, apparently you're not going to cave on the marriage thing, are you, Phil? Darn it. Oh, what? Tried so hard. Oh, you're not going to give in on the marriage thing. See, I was hoping did we'd I be on the radio on? show and you'd be like, you know what? You're right, Cindy. I'm going to ask her to marry me. <gasps> Darn it. Mm. He's not mm. caving, folks. I don't think he's going to cave. I, I think we're at a dead end on that one. Thanks a lot, Phil. I'm not talking to you anymore. Uh, okay. I've ruined the show now. Now I've ruined the show. I know. I might have to cry. I have Kleenex on my table right now. Not that you people can see it, but there's Kleenex here for a reason, and that was it, because I knew you weren't going to give in. Oh. I tried so hard, Amber, and we didn't even talk about it, okay? I just did it on my own. Thanks a lot. Fine. Forget Thanks it. Thanks a lot, yeah. Okay, it's moving right along. I guess we'll move along. Move Another right thing along. I found out about... My friend Phil and I have a few things in common. First of all, apparently, according to some things I know, 
he's familiar with Frank Sinatra, which is one of my top five people. Kudos. He loves his mob movies, which is even cooler because most of my friends are actually, well, mobsters. Um, Jim Carrey <laughs> fan. He likes Gone with the Wind. Oh, my God, you got major points for that one because, hello, it's like my favorite movie in the entire world. And I also noticed you're a <laughs> Ghostbusters fan, so I'm, I'm cool with asking this question. People are not digging the new Ghostbusters. I don't know if you've seen the new chick flick, the Ghostbuster movie. They're not digging it. Uh, not digging. No, I, I haven't seen it. I mean, you know, for me, Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, uh, Harold Ramis, that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of where it ended for me. I agree. I do. I agree. I mean, they tried. They gave it. They gave it a. You know, they gave it a good effort. It's okay. You know, but I mean, it's not like you know. I'm more a Thor girl myself, and well, they did have Thor in there, but he's like a hundred pounds in that movie and geeky. So I'm like, yeah, this isn't doing much for me. So don't even waste your five dollars. You don't even have to worry about it. Don't even need to go. Um, I want to touch on this. Phil does a lot of stuff with food, or is it that Amber does a lot of stuff? Either way, they have a household uh-huh. where, oh, my God, they never invite me over, and they should. Oh, my God, I would eat at your house for a month. Who's the cook, you or Amber? Me. Me. It is. I knew it. I See, am... I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah, I, uh, I don't know how, what, how, when, how this happened, but, I mean, uh, I, I, well, I kind of, I shouldn't say that. I do kind of know where, how it happened. Um, you know, being on a salt restriction being on a water restriction due to my health condition right um you know it, it's you have to avoid a lot of things and if you're going to eat anything decent uh you have to kind of make it yourself and that's kind of where that started and now it's been a few years of doing this and next thing you know i'm like you know i want to make my own pasta you know <laughs> i'm uh, doing oh, you no. know things like that you know i want to make my own ravioli i you know uh, I need to make, you know, some uh, marinara sauce from scratch. I mean, there's, you know, way too much salt out of a can or out of a jar. So uh, right, that's, right. that's kind of where it started. Now, just out of curiosity, and yes, I suppose I had to uh, let the cat out of the bag to those that are listening in that haven't figured it out in case you haven't looked on my wall or otherwise. Obviously, of course, um, Phil is a heart patient who is actually currently on a transplant list to get a heart. And so one of the modifications he's had to do in his life, obviously, is to change his diet. So I'm curious to ask you, because you do all that cooking, and I, I don't know this from a perspective of a, a patient like yourself, would it be more beneficial for you to do like vegan, gluten, soy, things like that? Is that more, is that helpful to you? Is that something you utilize as a heart patient? Um, you know, I, I talked to my doctors about that to, to see if that was really an option that would benefit me. And um, they were kind of, you know, they kind of poo-pooed it. They said, well, you know, really the more important thing is the salt and the fluid that you're taking in because those are things that are uh, weighing on my heart, a little, you know, making my heart, you know, uh, work harder uh, than it needs to. Sure. So um, as far as, you know, the vegan thing, um, yeah, I don't know. They were, they were, they said, you know, protein's fine. You know, I mean, that's, that's not, uh, the kind of thing that, uh, they, they thought I should avoid. So I stuck gotcha. with it. Understandable. Limited, cut it, cut yeah. it way back, obviously, but you know, still, it's still there. Right. And part of the problem is Phil lives in Waukesha, which is of course, like I could just go and knock on the door and eat over there, but then I'd get lost. Cause I don't know where the hell I am in Waukesha half the time, which is half the city of Milwaukee <laughs> apparently. Cause none of us know anything. None of us know how to get to Waukesha. Half of us get lost there. So I'm like, great. I'm going to drive there to get a meal that I won't even get because I'll get lost. I'm like, yeah, going to Phil's not sure. We can go to a restaurant. Thanks. But the food sure <laughs> looks damn good. You should check his page out, man. He's got food on there all the time. It's enough to drive me nuts. And since I gave him truffles, maybe he could send me a little something. Apparently, 
word on the street is I proposed to Phil on accident. I was unaware of that one. I send him home with some truffles, and he finds my ring. And I'm like, oh, my God, how embarrassing is that? I made the man homemade truffles, and there's a ring in there. And I felt like I had, I had a lot of explaining to do with Amber. I know that. that, uh, that, was, that was, <laughs> sure. You go out to meet Cindy, and you come home with a ring. What the heck? Really? Yeah. What's going on, Phil? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, thank God so, no, he didn't choke on the ring. And you like the truffles. Right. And you could have chocolate, right? So chocolate is okay Absolutely. and sugar and stuff is yeah, okay you for you? It, you know, yeah, obviously, well, you know, salted chocolate, that would be a bad thing. But, I mean, you know, right. chocolate, chocolate and sweets, they don't seem to really have a problem with it too much. So, uh, but, yeah, the big thing, you know, salt, you know. Interesting. Okay. Now, before we begin to talk about this very serious subject that we have, because we're having way too much fun right now, um, I know that you have, obviously, your mother, who's in her 90s, and, of course, your older sister. So I want you to talk to everybody about two different things as it relates to family, because oftentimes family is the cornerstone of, of any patient's life in terms of how have they made a difference to you in terms of support, and then second of all, have they been inspiring to you in any way, um, either obviously before, during, now, as it relates to you as a person? What effect have they had on you? That What do you keep in your heart from them? Well, you know, my sister is... Uh... Um, you know, like Amber has, you know, stepped up and, and made a lot of things in my life very, very easy. Uh, my sister actually is the one who takes care of my mom, and she all of a sudden has to take on, you know, her brother <laughs> in, in a, uh, you know, a tough situation too. So, I mean, she has, uh, you know, been you know, amazing, been amazing, um, you know, to Aww. me and, and, and to my situation. So yeah, I I, and my mom, yeah, my mom being in her nineties and such, she's been, um, you know, uh, slowly moving in, uh, you know, the inevitable direction. But she is just a, a wonderful person that understands that, that that's you know fully understanding where the, my situation, and uh, she has uh, been very supportive and very you know in my corner during all of this. Oh, my goodness gracious. And that brings to mind something that I wanted to ask because, I, you know, most of you don't have the benefit of knowing him. I, I just want you to talk about this because you've mentioned this before, how overwhelming it is or, or has it gotten easier for you to respond to the fact that so many people that, that either don't know you or are first meeting you or literal strangers step up to help you? It's, it's incredibly humbling, and I've, I've made some jokes on my Facebook page about, about you know, people posting things. Uh, the GoFundMe page that Amber put out there, and she didn't even warn me that she was putting it up there. And I happened to be, you know, going through the grocery store, and I'm looking on. I just happened to look over there, and next thing you know, I'm like, you know, I'm tearing up, and I'm standing in the middle of a grocery store. And uh, this has happened more than once now too. Uh, and Cindy, you had, you know, you were uh, at fault at the second one there, so. Uh, I, uh, Bill's got a thing with these grocery stores. The women in his life make him cry. Apparently, I made him cry in the spinach or broccoli aisle or whatever. He posted up, I'm, I'm in the store and I'm crying. Thanks, Cindy. Sorry, Phil. I'm a big, big hard football fan crying in the produce section. And, uh, you know, I got, I got to go hide out in the, you know, in the freezer section until I, you know, until I get myself together. Thanks a lot, Cindy. Hey, it was a nice thing to say. Back off. But no, I mean, it, you know, and and you've said that before too, and I can only imagine that it must be difficult because, of course, obviously, at some point in time, we all need help from someone else, and I imagine that it must be um, 
humbling for you to to have to. Ab- to humbling, know, humbling hey, is the word I I use quite often when I start you know talking mm-hmm. about this because seriously, I mean, I, I I was fortunate enough to you know have a a fairly uh, event-free life. I didn't really have any medical issues uh, for the better part of 45 years. And, uh, you know, when your time comes or things like this sort of pop up, you kind of wonder, you know, where the heart of people really is, really can be. And it's, it, it, it's an amazing feeling to have people, mm-hmm. you know, that you've never met before in your corner like this. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just simply overwhelming. Oh, I imagine so, and and obviously uh, it's a bit to get used to. To those of you that don't yeah. know, um, and here's the the ironic story as we start here. You obviously you or none of your family members have a family history of heart conditions. You're not a, a smoker, obviously, so that you know that didn't really contribute to much. And of course, when all of this began, you had described it about just having basic flu symptoms, which I, of course, was the first one to be surprised. How is it possible that you go from flu symptoms to having cardiomyopathy? Um, did that floor you? Were you startled? Is it shocking? Absolutely. Yeah, it was, it was certainly not anything that I thought was possible, you know, given my family history and not having any, uh, and anything to go off of, you know, uh, in, in that direction. I mean, so it was very, it was very strange that things, you know, went that, went that way. So. Oh, I imagine so. Um, now, obviously, to start off your story, so back in 2011, which is kind of where it all begins, that's where the initial diagnosis of cardiomyopathy came. To those of you that don't know, cardiomyopathy, myopathy, the most basic definition would be a disease of the heart muscle. There are a number of different kinds of those, by the way. There's actually a few different ones. Um, the actual root or cause of this is actually frequently unknown. So oftentimes we'll never really know the reason why somebody like yourself has this. And just so that you people understand what we're talking about, latest statistics and what I could see as of today is over 8 million people are affected by cardiomyopathy. So this isn't a very small thing. It's a very large thing. Now, the first thing I want to talk about is you had mentioned back in 2011 that your heart function was at a rate of 16%. Now, to somebody like me who's a village idiot who has no PhD after her name, here's what I'm thinking. How is this man living with a heart function at 16%? How is that possible? Do you know what I'm saying? Right, right. It's 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 crazy. And, you know, thinking back to what I was doing back in, in 2011, the band, was, uh, the band was in full gear. I was... Uh, working, uh, you know, at the time, uh, uh, I think I believe I was still in, in in construction at the time. So, I mean, there's a lot of energy that's needed there. And it was, uh, you know, finding myself, you know, kind of getting fatigued and then up up to the point where um, I started feeling the flu symptoms. It was, uh, uh, I was surprised myself when I look back at it, I'm going, well, how was, how was I, how did I get through that period? You know, so it was, um, it was kind of a, tough to accept. Oh, I imagine so, definitely. Now, um, in my research, obviously you have some of the symptoms we've talked uh, and which we will talk about, which is the breathing issues, hyperventilation. It's stated that um, you can have uh, swelling of the feet, the legs, the abdomen, chest pain, things like this. Uh, so for lack of a better term, how common of a cardiomyopathy patient are you? Meaning, are you experiencing the bulk of what most patients do? Um, some of them, you know, they, there's a lot of uh, concern about uh, uh, the swelling of the ankles and feet. Uh, I don't sure. really have that. They they have not been concerned about that. I get it. I get it more in my chest and my uh, through my uh, 
through my chest, basically. Uh, and that's sure. that's an area that becomes uh, more problematic. I imagine so. Now, 2011 was the first surgery that you had, of course, and then that's when you uh, got your defibrillator, um, meaning internal defibrillator. So, again, to those of us who lack knowledge of how that works and all that good stuff, um, talk to us a little bit about having something like that internally, meaning warning signs. Do you know when there's going to be an issue? Are there things that conflict with the defibrillator that you can no longer do? And how constricting is having something like this? Yeah, there. I mean, um, they warned me when I first uh, had it uh, put in my chest that, you know, um, you can run into things, you know, going through an airport. Uh, you can uh, have some problems that way. You can, you know, if you're um, – but, I mean, as far as the uh, the warning signs, uh, they, they put it in because I had a racing heart uh, at the time, and I would have these spells where my heart would jump up uh, quite a bit. And, um, you know, so that, that, that's the type of thing that I can feel. I mean, you, when you feel, you know, when you're sitting in a chair and you feel like you, you just ran, to, you know, 20 miles, I mean, it's, you know, it's coming and it's, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. And, uh, um, the defibrillator, what it, what it will do is, is shock you and restart your heart. So it'll take it out of that, um, that speeding process that it's going through. Um, and I've had, uh, the pleasure or the unpleasure of having it uh, a couple times, and uh, yeah, it's not much fun. It's uh, um, it's the kind of thing that you know you, you kind of you can see it coming. It's like you know you're you're in the car and you're heading towards. You can see the other car that you're going to hit, and you know what's coming. And uh, it's uh, not much fun when it happens, you know. Well, and I imagine so. Not to mention the fact, of course, I imagine that obviously we've talked about this battery life, meaning that you have to make sure batteries are important, meaning battery life of everything that works for you. Um, And when you have the defibrillator put in, did they indicate to you and say, look, you know, as long as this continues to work, et cetera, et cetera, was it a good prognosis, meaning that we we did the right thing, we installed this, and this should help you at that point in time? Because obviously we know circumstances have changed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely it did. They – you know, they they said at the time, you know, um, the battery life would be somewhere about eight years or so, depending, of course, oh, on wow. how many times it's gone. Yeah, depending on how many times it's gone off. Uh, obviously, uh, to a person who's having a lot of shocks, you know, that's going to be uh, a much more of a drain on on the battery and the device itself. So, but uh, like I say, fortunately, I've I've had about three episodes that I can recall since I've had it in. Um, okay. and, uh, so yeah, it's been, but it's, you know, as far as, you know, I'm not looking to have a battery change anytime real soon. That's a good thing. We like to hear something like that. That's awesome. And then of course, um, uh, again, the people around you, how cognizant do they need to be of the function of this defibrillator? What can they do to help you? Does everybody need to be in the loop on everything that goes on with you and the machinery for lack of a better term to keep you up and functioning well? Right. I mean, the defibrillator is is one portion of, of you know what I've got. the The heart pump right. is the is the biggest thing. You know, um, right. the, the the defibrillator itself is in my chest. Um, I have um, a great doctor out at Waukesha Memorial that you know um, reads it for me, and obviously it can tell me what's going on uh, with the device itself. Um, but um, you know, as far as people around me go, for the def- for the defibrillator part, there's not too much people can really do about that. The heart pump, on a different, on the other hand, is uh, is a little, is a bit different. That's a little more. Uh, there's a little more uh, 
things going into that. Oh, I imagine so, without a doubt. Um, and as you started to process, of course, year 2013, um, you used to be a married fellow, and so unfortunately you experienced a divorce. Um, I'm just curious to ask you, because of course we're all human and you're already having your ongoing physical conditions, how challenging did that did that pose to be for you in terms of your life? Because obviously your partner's now left. Um, how did you kind of regroup and get things together and move on past that? It's Yeah, it's... It was a tough period let's, uh, of, in a lot of ways. I mean, there was um, my health that was kind of deteriorating. Uh, uh, we were going through some bad economic times. I had lost my job. Um, and uh, it was, uh, you know, and, and my marriage was, was suffering because of it. So it was, it was a tough period uh, to get through. Um, but, uh, you know, like everything in life, you just you just have to kind of, you know, Take it, you know, even if it's, you know, one small step at a time, you have to just kind of move forward the best you can and uh, try to move on uh, with it. Uh, in fact, I have a friend who's, uh, who's going through uh, the, the marriage uh, part of it at, right now, and I'm kind of trying to help him through it because, you know, it's, it, like you say, it's, it's tough to face. And it's tough to deal with, particularly you know if there's kids involved and you've you've been together for a number of years. It's it's a it's a big change, and uh, all you can really do is is try to move forward the best you can, um, and keep your head up, and uh, and good things will happen. No, no kidding, obviously, and that's challenging for anybody, let alone somebody who's kind of going through some of these experiences you've had. Um, then we jump up a little bit to 2015, of course, and I know that there was a period of time where you were hospitalized in and out and, of course, in and out of work as well for a period of about four months or so, one of which you've already detailed, which is defibrillator shock. Um, you've experienced blackouts at times, which you've talked about, um, breathing, hyperventilation issues, Um so talk to us a little bit about that experience because most of us fortunately don't have to be in and out of a hospital. How do you adjust yourself professionally and personally to the fact that you never know at any given point in time if your life will be yeah, dictated it, by that yeah. doctor or hospital? It's, it, it's tough in the sense that, you know, um, obviously I knew my health was deteriorating and my cardiologist had said that, you know, things weren't improving so you're kind of kind of expecting the worst, um, but uh, yeah, as I was going in and out of work there for different reasons, uh, you know, related to my heart, um, you know, I had a spell where uh, where I, f- I felt one of those uh, racing heart situations, and my and my defibrillator, you know, actually I didn't know my defibrillator went off at the time. I actually blacked. I woke up. Uh, I had blacked out. I had I was laying on a concrete floor. And I, I woke up and only to find out, you know, uh, days later from my doctor that um, that was a very bad episode. My uh, defibrillator had gone off, and uh, it was the kind of thing that probably without a defibrillator, that probably would have been it, um, because it was my heart was somewhere in the somewhere in the 250 260 range, uh, which was obviously not very good. Um, but right. uh, so it's 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 challenging uh, in the sense that. Uh, you have to, uh, you know, just live each live each day as, as best you can and uh, um, live life to the fullest because, you know, you, you just don't know what's around the corner. And that's that's exactly. that's the best advice I can give to anybody. Amen to that one. That's for sure. Now, just because, again, a lot of us are, are just uneducated as it relates to this sort of disorder, 
Is that the norm for most patients, are you told, or maybe you don't know in terms of in and out of the hospital, having this symptom, having this symptom, wondering about this, wondering about that? Is that the norm, or has it just been that's your course? That's, well, I mean, I, I can't speak for everybody. I, I don't know sure. if that's the normal course. But, I mean, for myself, I mean, um, it, seemed, it seemed sort of inevitable that, I mean, there are, there, I know there are people that have been diagnosed with cardiomyopathy and uh, their hearts have improved. So, I mean, uh, so I would say that, you know, mine is, you know, mine is typical, I guess, but, uh, you know, it's hard to really say what, uh, what some of the other folks are going through. I gotcha. And I know this stands to reason, and I'm sure I know the answer, but nonetheless, I think it's important for people to hear this from the patient himself. Um, you know, like you were just talking about, this could have been the end of all of it. Uh, how often does that affect you? How often do you look in the mirror and think to myself, oh, my God, I could have been dead yesterday. How surreal is that? I mean, how do you how do you cope with that in the absence of being in a support group 24-7? Because I think most of us would be like, I can't deal with this. Yeah, I mean, it goes back. To, it goes back to just you know, um, you have to live your life. There's just no, there's no two other ways about it. You have to move forward. Um, obviously, you know, in my case, there's not too many options there. There's, um, you know, you can. I could just leave it alone and let you know my body just take its course, or I could you know move forward in in a uh, a way that you know doctors are suggesting and are very confident in uh and it's uh it's a, it's amazing to have that uh, that option um to oh, move sure. forward sure. with a heart pump and you know and not have to and and have really just a uh uh you know a some hope that you know you're uh you won't have to you know one day just not wake up you know so it's it's uh it's very very positive to have those have those options oh i agree 100% um, at the end of 2015, of course, was when you received the news, of course, that the doctor felt that you should be put on a transplant list or that you needed to have a transplant. So explain yeah. to us a little bit how you went from where you were with a defibrillator to getting to a point where you needed the transplant. Okay. Well, um, yeah, at the beginning of the year, um, I had been uh, in the hospital out at Waukesha Memorial, and they had uh, taken me in for some breathing problems that I was having there. Um, I, um, spent, had a little stint there. I was fortunate enough to get released uh, long enough to, uh, and I, at the time I, I felt that I could, uh, play a show <laughs> as crazy as that sounds. Um, but, uh, I got, I was able to play my birthday show at Sloon on Calhoun with the guys in the band. And that, um, uh, kind of made me feel a little more like we were kind of, uh, Moving in a, I felt I felt better about it, but to find out that you know, like two weeks after that, I ended up back in the hospital, and that's when that's when it really got nasty, and uh, they said, well, okay, there's no there's no time in waiting here because at you know the beginning of the year they had said that you know okay sometime this year the next several months you know we should you know really look into um, getting on the heart transplant list and getting a uh, and, and looking into what St. Luke's has to offer. And so when I ended up uh in the hospital at the uh uh beginning of March um after my uh, stent out I uh it was so bad that they ended up transferring me down to St. Luke's and I went through uh all the protocol to um to to get a heart pump as a, a bridge right. to transplant to as a bridge to a transplant. Uh, to a heart transplant. 
Now, the heart pump itself, correct me if I'm mistaken, so in the absence of that, your heart would be performing at about a 12% rate. Is that right? Minus the pump? That's okay, correct. just to make sure of that. So, so people get a, an actual percentage sense of, okay, this is why this is so vital and important. Now, obviously, the defibrillator and the heart pump have two different purposes, yes? Yes. Okay. So one yes. does what and one and the other does what? Oh, well, the defibrillator... Um, would it, uh, it it monitors uh, my heart rate? It also paces my heart, uh, and where if my heart were to jump up uh, into the you know mid two hundreds uh, and do something crazy like that, it it would shock it would shock the heart and bring it back to a normal rate. Um, the the pump itself, what the pump is basically doing is is assisting the heart that I have right now uh, and improving the um, improving its functionality um, and improving okay. the heart, the, the blood flow. So I understand that. And of course, just as you have the defibrillator uh, with the heart pump, I presume that there are warning signs or things that you have to look for to make sure that things are functioning. Or how do you know when Phil's in trouble and needs to go to a hospital? Well, obviously, anytime the defibrillator goes off, I'm I'm going to be talking to my doctor. Um, but sure. like I say, since the since I've had the heart pump in um, since March. Uh, things have been rather quiet on that on that end. Uh, I haven't had you know uh, defibrillator going off. Uh, the heart pump has been um, amazing in the sense that it's it's actually stabilized me to the point where I can you know try to resume a, somewhat of a normal life, uh, and that's that's been amazing. Well, I imagine. And there is nothing normal about Phil, I get the sense, just so you people know, because I know he's talking about the normal life thing. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen because he's a little out there somewhere. But that's a good thing. We like that about you. Um, I wanted to mention that some of the things that are recommended for people like yourself, meaning they talk to people about what sorts of treatments and lifestyle changes. So obviously medications, um, a healthy diet, lots of uh, any excessive weight, and of course, avoiding alcohol and drugs, as well as reducing your stress level. Um, have you? I assume that you've had to implement a lot of those things into your daily living, and how successful have those been? Yeah, pretty good. I mean, you know, a, a lot of it goes back to to Amber. I mean, you know, I was used to running my house, you know, pretty much by myself, cutting the grass, doing all the the chores, keeping you know the house in order. Uh, you know, while I was living alone, um, and uh, Amber has stepped up, you know, amazingly and filled a lot of uh, the voids and kept the house together when I was uh, not able to do much of anything. Um, even, even to this day, there there are some things that I will, uh, you know, I will avoid just because that I really don't want to uh, find myself passed out on my lawn, you know, and I'm sure my neighbors don't want that either. So. Um, but so, I mean, there's been a lot of, a lot of help, uh, in, uh, in that sense that have helped me along that no. things that I don't have to do. Right. Of course. And now, um, at the present time, of course, you've been unemployed since March. And so my question about that is, um, most of us, obviously you're usually complaining and saying, Oh my God, I got to go to work today and all this and this and this. Do you find yourself missing that routine or missing that part of yourself, so to speak, um, now that you're not doing that any longer? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, I mean, you know, you have to feel, I know you have to feel a purpose in life uh, to move forward. And that's been probably one of the hardest things is trying to, um, you know, 
find something that you can that you can look forward to, something you can focus on, something you can hang your hat on that you that you've done or you accomplished. Sure. Uh, that's probably one of the hardest things in recovery is is you know pretty much just you know trying to lay down and trying to you know get your body into a uh, a place where you know you're you're okay and you can live and you're comfortable but yeah it's tough to it's tough to you know wake up in the morning and you know not have uh not have a purpose there you know without without some sort of work or a job or something or a career no, we totally get that, obviously. And then, of course, two months later, May of 2016, that's when you were officially put onto the transplant list. Um, now, I want to talk a little bit about the transplant aspect of things. Um, interesting fact that you may or may not know, and Phil probably may know this already, but I just did some current studies as of today to try to make it as current as possible. And I was reading the statistic, which I thought was awesome. There's the latest SRTR data, which is some big major important thing. Forgive me, folks, for not knowing exactly what it is. But on the average, 50% of heart patients um, on a heart waiting list will undergo a transplant within 3.2 months of being listed. Did you know that? I didn't know that. a little behind. Well, it's it's a pretty (laughs) kick-ass statistic, isn't it? Yeah, that's much better than what I thought. Yeah, I was... Amen to that that one. See? Right. Hopes around the you know, I mean, hopes there constantly. Three, yeah, three months is three months is awful quick considering uh, what all has to happen there and and uh, the recovery time from a uh, you know like my situation from a uh, from a heart pump to you know an actual transplant. I've known people who have who've waited you know a year plus you know for uh, that sort of thing. Oh, I imagine so, definitely. And and obviously, we've talked about this, and, and the sad part being, and as I know most people know, you know, the man that I'm talking to on the other end of the phone, I don't think he's aware of this, but his heart is quite pure and quite perfect all on its very own, whether it's physically working or not. But the concept of another human being's life ending so that another's can continue on is is quite sad um i am not quite sure what the what the other word for that is and um i'm right. wondering and i couldn't remember if we talked about this if you've had the benefit or do they allow you the benefit of talking to people who've gone through transplant or have you known anybody who's gone through this process that's talked about all of this you kind of prepared in the uh, are you mindset wise prepared for something like this when the time comes yeah i mean i uh my neighbor has gone through uh a transplant of a, a lung transplant and uh, mm-hmm. I was able to uh, talk to her about, you know, how the transplant, um, how everything kind of works. And she had said that um, the way it works is that you're kept, um, uh, you're you're not able to contact this person. You don't know the name of the person uh, right. for about a year's time. And after that time, uh, you are able to contact uh, the donor, um, you know, usually through the hospital. And, uh, ah. you know, obviously say, say it's, you know, it, it, you're very thankful because like you said, it's, you know, it's, um, one of your happiest days and it's somebody's miser- most miserable day, um, of course. to go through this. You bet. And, and definitely. And I think that it's not just, I know that some people think it's just a physical thing, but it's not, it's physical, it's mental. There's a lot of steps towards this entire process, clearly. So on the transplant side of things, to those that don't know this, first of all, it's kind of a no-brainer. It's not cheap, is it? Oh, no. <laughs> no, it is not. And <laughs> you, you definitely wouldn't want, to try, you wouldn't want to try without any health insurance, that's for sure. Oh, you betcha. Now, on the average, and this is just a guesstimate, but I want people to just get an idea of this. 
even with health insurance, let's say, is it still going to be a hefty bill relative to medications, treatments? You're talking about eight to nine days in the inpatient hospital, you know, obviously an excessive number of medications. Um, how any approximate ideas to just how much you'd be left over with after all of this? Uh, hard to, it's really hard to say. I mean, sure. you know, I, I mean, I, to give you an idea, I, um, last year, uh, 2015, I went through my in and out of the hospital stays and I was left with a bill of, uh, just out of pocket somewhere in the neighborhood of about $10,000. So, um, that was just, that was for that. And the, my understanding of the, uh, the whole transplant, heart transplant procedure, you know, it can run somewhere in the neighborhood of about eight hundred, nine hundred thousand dollars, and oh you're still looking at, you know, potentially uh, a fair amount of money uh, to be left with. You know, the, the medical bills sure. um, that you're going to be left with can be uh, substantial. But I, as far as the number, I don't really have a number for you. No, that, no, that's perfectly okay. Obviously. Um, as I understand it, there's two different terms that we use when we spoke about the transplant, um, which is uh, status seven. So talk to people what that status number means uh, as relative to a transplant. Well, when you're added to the transplant list, uh, status seven would be, uh, obviously they rank you different ways on the list. There's a 1A, there's a 1B. Um, then there's a status seven, which means that you are on the list, but for various reasons, um, like you've traveled uh, four hours or you're on vacation, you're somewhere uh, away from your transplant uh, hospital, uh, you can be put mm -hmm. on status seven. Or if you were um, to uh, not have any health insurance, you could be uh, left, you know, kind of in a um, limbo there, so to speak, um, oh just kind of waiting, waiting to, uh, you know, get things back in order where, uh, you could move forward in a transplant. Sure, I understand. And obviously, like you mentioned, you knew you told me that too as well. So one of your guidelines basically that you must adhere to is you must be four hours away from a hospital at any time, correct? No matter what. That's correct. Yep, okay. absolutely gotcha. correct, yeah. Wow. How are you ever going to go see those, what do they call those people, green and gold pools? Oh, wait, did I say that? Um, aren't they like more <laughs> than four hours away? <clears throat> no. Know. Cindy, it. it's about two and a half, two I know, three, I know. maybe three, you know, I so know. yeah, that's well within, that's well within the range. Yeah, great, wonderful, <laughs> lovely, okay, so he's got to be four hours away from the hospital, obviously, um, as you've indicated to me, Phil has um, a number of colleagues, like a group of cardiologists that he works with, and of course, the same surgeon, and uh, I guess talk a little bit about that part, meaning that you know you're entrusting your life with another human being, and I suspect that you need to be really confident in that surgeon that you've picked out. It seems to me as though you have somebody that you feel very confident with that you entrust with you that and and I think that that's a focal point of this, isn't it? because it's not just about getting the right heart, it's also about getting the right care and the right treatment, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I had a friend who has gone through the heart transplant process and uh, when it came time for me to um, look at a place to go, I, my doctor said I could go to Madison or I could go to St. Sure. Luke's. And, and I spoke to my friend who had been through the St. Luke's pro, uh, process, and he said it was it's absolutely amazing. And I and having been through it or been in it now for about six months, it, it, it's absolutely amazing. They're they're amazing what they do. 
Um, you can tell that they've been doing this for a number of years. The surgeons, the doctors, the nurses, the engineers, all the people that um, work down there are, are phenomenal, phenomenal. They have such an energy for it as well, too. It's, um, they, you know, they, they treat every patient like, you know, like you're the only one. And, uh, and sure. they, they, they just want absolutely the best for you. I gotcha. Now, um, we can only talk about the things that we know for sure, obviously. And one of the things that I am aware of is for heart transplant patients, clearly, once you spend those eight or nine days in the hospital and you have that in there, there's close monitoring, I'm guessing, because you could have a rejected or rejection or organ failure or there's a chance of infection. Um, How? Any number of of things, yeah. Well, right, and I, I guess a lot of times often my guess is, and based upon the research I've done, usually for a person like you're saying, the transplant is the logical thing, meaning that they put the new heart in that eliminates a lot of the problems. But have they kind of prepared you and said, hey, you know, not with you go this, and maybe this maybe there might be an issue with a new heart. Yeah, it's um, it's you know they they tell you about all those things that are going to happen uh, after after a transplant, and certainly. Uh, rejection is the biggest um, the biggest problem that can happen from there. Uh, I was talking to him. As a matter of fact, today I was just down there uh, talking oh. with uh, one of the nurses down there, and she was saying, you know, I was talking about recovery from a heart transplant because it was funny. I haven't really heard much about that. I heard a lot about recovery from uh, the operation for a, for a heart pump, but I was concerned or I was curious what happens uh you know after a heart transplant and and they were like well obviously you know you're on a lot of medications there's a lot of blood work uh there's a lot of biopsies uh of the heart itself uh to make sure that there's no rejection uh going on but yeah it's it's very serious and you know it's a slow process uh getting yourself again back to you know what would be a, a normal lifestyle um, oh, I bet, without a yeah. doubt. And just curiosity speaking, of course, again, to most of us who aren't sitting in this circumstance, um, can you tell us some of the things that ideally they look for in terms of what you would consider to be close to a perfect match to you? Meaning like if they say, okay, this heart is perfect for Phil because of this or this or this. Make sense? Yeah, uh, blood type, obviously that's that's a big one. Uh, also, sure. the size of the person, you know, I'm I'm not a small person. I'm about 6'3". Um, so I mean, you, there is there is some uh, um, size issues there as far as you know having a heart you know strong enough to pump blood to somebody of my size, uh, and that goes sure. that goes for any an infant or in, anybody. That's that's certainly uh, something that needs to be uh, looked at very closely. Oh, I imagine so. Um, sure. Now. I know that some of the overall changes you've talked to me about is, uh, first of all, your amount of sleep has increased, meaning that you're sleeping more often. Um, we've talked already about not too much salt, not too many fluids. Obviously, it's affected you from the standpoint of work and playing, et cetera. Um, what do you find to be the most intrusive change you've had in your life since this whole thing started? Um, well, certainly the certainly the fatigue uh, thing has been a, quite a big one. I mean, you you kind of feel that you're able, you know, you're able to do something and you find out that your body is telling you uh, that you certainly can't. And uh, I have certainly hit the wall a couple of times uh, after my release from my heart pump, thinking that I was um, able to do things 
And, uh, again, it goes back to a grocery store. It's amazing. I don't know what it is about grocery stores, but um, I, I was released from uh, the hospital after my uh, heart pump. And foolish me, I thought, well, you know, I'll be able to walk, to, you know, I'll be able to walk around a grocery store for 45 minutes or whatever it is, only to find out God. that that was one of the dumbest ideas I think I've ever had. And that uh, poor Amber took me, had to take me over to a bench so I could, so I could uh, regain my breath. And uh, that was quite a dumb idea. So, I mean, sometimes you feel God. that you have things all together and you really, really don't. And uh, your body will tell you uh, immediately, you know, that that was a dumb decision to do. And uh, you, you have to really, you have to listen to your body very closely uh, and uh, really know what it's telling you. <laughs> yeah, you're not kidding. You seem to, you need to stay the hell out of grocery stores is what I think needs to happen. I don't know like what it is or something. It's freaking me out. Yeah. It's you in that grocery store. I, you know, maybe you'll get a little bit of Packers. Did I just say that? Oh, sorry. Put that in. <laughs> Sorry. No, but no, seriously. You need to. You're having adverse effects at the grocery store. Stay out of it. You have a girlfriend. Send her to the store. Okay. That's all I'm going to say about that. I will. Never know. I think I will from now on. Thank you very much. (laughs) Okay. Now the other thing I wanted to point out was we had kind of talked about more recently with you going to the doctor. um, The level of visits has gone down. Meaning you go once a month. You're routinely down to about four or five four or five medications a day and you ironically which i found interesting you you claim that oftentimes you really don't need the usage of pain medication which does that seem a little odd because i think it is seems yeah it's kind of odd to me it's kind of odd to the people uh at the hospital too i mean you know they they you know bring it up and they've you know said you know i should take it on uh uh as needed and you know fortunately i haven't i haven't needed it like that i mean i I was in some discomfort coming out of the hospital and, uh, you know, during the recovery period, um, there was, um, you know, some situations where I was, you know, you know, very tired and very, it was very hard to, uh, kind of, um, move around and, and things of that nature. But, you know, the pain thing, you know, it was the kind of thing that I just, you know, thought that I wouldn't even go, I wouldn't go down that road if I really didn't have to, I didn't have to. And that's, that's kind of where I stayed with it. Gotcha. And that's good actually. And like I said, not that I'm complaining or anything, but it just seems odd because you think about the heart and you think about all the things you're going through and logically it just seems like you're going to be uncomfortable often or you're going to have little to be able to control that. Um, So kudos. I mean, that's awesome. That's wonderful news. Clearly. Um, One of the things that you said to me when I was talking to you was, and this is really cool, folks, he's got three main motivators, um, music being one of them, his family and friends being another one, and then moving forward, obviously, onto his life. Um, So let's say we go a year from now in a perfect world. Now that you have all these motivators surrounded by you, where do you want to be a year from now? What is most important to you at point in time, let's say between now and then? Obviously, the heart's a foregone conclusion, but where do you want to be in your life and what do you want to see happen? Well, I would, I would certainly love to uh, get back to some normalcy, uh, you know, get out and play music the way I always loved playing music for the last 30 years. Um, you know, being able to uh, come and go see my friends, uh, maybe, uh, you know, actually get to take a trip <laughs> and hmm. uh, do some things outside of the four-hour range that, <laughs> that I'm limited to right now. But, uh, you know, I would say, you know, some of the simpler things like that, that, you know, just, just happiness, just, you know, being able to get out and enjoy, um, you know, 
my life, you know, playing music, uh, hang, hanging out with my friends, just, you know, just enjoying uh, people's company. Having a wedding. Oh, did I just say that? Did, it, did I come out of my mind? A wedding? Oh, like it, maybe planning wedding? Before, I think our connection's bad. Maybe? I didn't hear that one, yeah. <laughs> you're killing me. Um, okay. Yeah. Moving right along. Cause you're not cooperating with me very well. Darn you. Um, okay. Which brings us to what you had originally had talked about a little bit earlier in the course of the interview, which is of course the GoFundMe page, obviously with any, she as in Amber has put together this lovely GoFundMe page and basically on there folks, to those of you that haven't seen me and Amber and everybody else it's sharing, 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 um, it basically kind of lays out some of the groundwork for what we've talked about here on the interview, which is your entire experience from start to finish in terms of you being sick. Um, originally, I know the amount was much lower than it was now. We had a conversation. As it stands right now, you're a little under 2600 and your goal being $12,000 total. Now, I know she started this in September of 2016. Now, can you tell us a little bit about how long exactly does the campaign go on? Um, and second of all, and moreover, because only you can speak to this, um, uh, are we doing enough if we get to the $12,000 mark? Are you going to need more? I mean, what's what's going to make life a lot more comfortable for someone like yourself or other patients out there that are um, that are really struggling with unexpected expenses? Right. Yeah. I mean, the big thing is um, with the health insurance and moving forward, uh, that can get obviously kind of pricey, I'm sure, as a lot of people know. Sure. Um, that's that's one of the things that everyone has to be concerned about. Um, the GoFundMe page, um, she started, we had thought about uh, you know, starting it and also doing a, uh, a fundraiser of some sort. We had, uh, we were kind of tentatively talking about uh, doing something at Sloan and Calhoun. Uh, yep. had, there's a date uh, of November 20th, which is the Sunday before Thanksgiving, I believe. Uh, it's not set in right. stone yet, but that's, that's the kind of, that's the date that we're looking at. Uh, I'd like to, you know, have some of my musical friends come down and play a little music and uh, enjoy ourselves and, uh, you know, and uh, try to move forward that way, um, you know, with oh, sure. raising money and such. Without a doubt, definitely. Is there a cutoff on the GoFundMe that we should be aware of? Like we can donate from this point to this point and then it's completely done? Or is it in, is it perhaps that you'll do it from this point to this point to do another one? Do you have a game plan relative to that? Not necessarily. Um, I know we wanted to make sure it was up for the um, for the fundraiser in November, um, okay. but uh, I, I, we were kind of thinking that somewhere in in uh, early December they would be probably uh, um, stop it, cut it off there. Got it. Okay, I see. Just that this way, some people have a, an approximate idea in terms of how long that they can donate, yeah. or things that they can do, etc. Okay. Now, one of the other things that I want to mention about is, of course, as of exactly oh, a couple of weeks ago, actually, I'd come to find out, of course, that Phil, one of the biggest components that you need, of course, is medical insurance when it comes to getting heart transplant. So, uh, unfortunately, now that has now shifted gears a bit, which means that you are now responsible for your own insurance. So I want you to tell everybody how fundamentally focal it is for you to maintain and keep or any patient out there wanting to get a heart transplant, why is that so important? Besides the obvious, you need it for medical bills, but what happens to you due to lack of insurance if that were to happen? Well, as we talked about, you know, the status seven, um, that would be um, something that would would happen to me or anybody that 
uh, would lose their health insurance. They would uh, be put on a status seven, which, like I mentioned before, that's you're, you're kind of in limbo there because you're on the list, but they really can't move forward. They can't. They wouldn't take you off of it, but you know you you need to be um, kind of you know ha- have your have your insurance and uh, have your things in order to move forward. Gotcha. Of course. So obviously it's fundamental. And uh, as I understand it, it can affect your place in the list. You can be passed over. Your transplant can be put on hold, all of which are clearly detrimental things to someone like yourself, obviously, who needs this and and who needs to have that happen. Clearly, that goes without saying. Now, the other thing I wanted to ask you about since people are listening in, and you never know because across the planet, I'm lucky enough to have enough people to listen in. If there are other families that are affected by this same thing or they have loved ones or individuals with these sorts of struggles relative to heart conditions, what can we do as the average person who's not the patient that's most beneficial to you, the patient, where we can make the most difference? Well, I I think, you know, having some understanding uh, for what they're going through um, is probably the biggest, it's probably the biggest thing. I mean, um, certainly there's a lot of doctors and a lot of, uh, you know, hospitals and, and, uh, situations like that. But, you know, I, I think if you really, you know, show people who are going through this, that, that you're really there for them, you know, because it's a, it's a tough spot. And if, when somebody is, you know, shows you that they're really there for you, it's, you know, it, it it's, it, it's, 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 it's all of it. That's, that's, that's the biggest thing there. You know, and that, that, you know, sometimes there's some things that you just can't control, but, you know, when, when people around you, you know, they all, um, you know, you know, circle the wagon, so to speak, and, uh, and, you know, and, and stand up for you in your corner, that, that's, that's an amazing, uh, it's an amazing power. I imagine so. Um, Okay. Well, let me just say this much. First off, Phil is really concerned that you guys get bored with him, and I'm going to probably go on a limb and say, hell no, I don't think anybody was bored with you. Look at how engaging you were. You would have carried this whole conversation. You didn't even need me here, to be honest with you. You just didn't. Now, we have business things that we have talked about now. First of all, I'm going to let the entire audience, listening audience, know how they can get a hold of Phil personally. Um, now, I want you to pronounce your last name because I'm like, I don't think I know how to pronounce it right, and I don't want to screw it up. So how do you pronounce your last name? Marich. Yes. Just so you people know, it's spelled M-A-R-I-C-H. Um, two ways on Facebook to find him. He has the, the personal page, and it's actually Phil Marich and then B-A-S-S base, obviously. He also can be found on the Rhythm Kings Band Facebook page, which apparently is shutting down soon. They're getting a new page. But nonetheless, if you look up the Rhythm Kings Band in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, you'll be able to find him. He also has an Instagram, which is at Phil Marich. And, of course, he's on Google+. Plus. He's also on LinkedIn. The GoFundMe page has all these funky numbers. But I can tell you right now, if you Google him, you'll be able to find the GoFundMe page. It will also be on my show page. It's also been tweeted by me. It's also on his girlfriend Amber's page. It will be on his page. So we repeated enough, obviously, that goes without saying. Um, are there other places that people can find you or get information about you or they can follow you because you're such a celebrity, according to this interview? <laughs> um, no, I think, you, I think you got all of them, actually. Facebook uh, is probably the biggest one. I look at that one quite, a, quite often, and uh, certainly the Rhythm Kings page. There's technically two Rhythm Kings pages. Uh, and the, that's the reason why one of the pages is closing, but there's actually two pages. There, ah, so, uh, okay, so there is. Okay, so I thought I was going nuts for a minute because I'm like, no. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, it's so the other takes- one is, there's a, yeah, there's a blue picture of the band on the, 
on the on the Facebook page there, and that's that's the one we're moving forward with. That's kind of what I thought. And, of course, I could have checked with Marcel, but he's off in Vegas apparently, mister. I'm just going to get on a plane and go out to Vegas. So, whoo-hoo, let's just see if they get married. Oh, wait, I can't bring that word up. Oh, I brought it up really? with Marcel. Now I'm bringing it up with Phil. See, it's the new show thing. Oh, I almost forgot wow. to ask a big question. You have now been on my show. So this is my new thing. I ask everybody this who's a show guest, so I know you're not going to let me down, Phil. I know it. Okay. I'm on this mad hunt. I have I got these top five people in the entire world that I want to interview, besides Phil, because now I've gotten to do that. There's like my five fantasy all time in life would die to interview these people. Now, I just mm-hmm. know you're going to say, well, that guy's in my phone. I'm going to call him up and have him come on your show. So here we go. Of course. Um, I was wondering if you have any connection to the actor Michael Manson, because, yeah. I know you're not going to let me know. You can't say that I do. <sighs> Great. I may as well just give it up. I've only been asking 8,000 people. I'm like, what somebody's got to know. Who else you got? Who else you got? That's it. Well, share. Share? No, share. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, share. No. Um, I thought you were going to say Brett Favre, actually. Um. Yeah, I'd rather no? wash my no? hair. No, uh, no, 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 no. We don't do him. We don't do any football people on this show. Hello? I think you follow me. No. How about that one? Oh, please don't hurt me. I was just talking to someone the other day about him. We don't want to go there because we don't want to put a damper on such a lovely show. Now, I have uh, two more things that I have to deal with because you've never been on my show before. Um. Marcel could have warned you of this. The very last thing that I will do is I will tell the listening audience as well as yourself what I think of you. That could probably upset you a little bit. So Ooh, I'm just going to prepare you for that one. Yeah, okay, I know. Thanks. I know. It's one of those things. Okay. So before I forget to tell you, and I kind of filled you in on some of this, but I'm going to tell the listening audience some of this. And the reason that I'm doing that is because they are so intricate to my success in all of this. Um, Three different things that I have done, um, one of which is, is that I'm very fortunate that I am in the entertainment industry. So oftentimes I have musicians and other people that do things for causes. Fortunately, I have a very, very dear friend who's a musician who picks a charity every single month, and he has decided to pick Phil as his pet charity for a particular month, for lack of a better term. So, for one, we have income that will be hopefully generating, I'm not sure how much, but from this particular celebrity slash musician, et cetera, which I'm very excited about. I have just... Um, literally approached over 200 motorcycle clubs to see if they would back and support the idea of raising funds for your heart transplant. As of today, I'm about to launch with my intern who's going to kill me because I haven't told her this yet. Um, I'm going to be approaching over 5,000 people and I'm taking my truffle business and I'm paying for the expense of all the food, et cetera, and I'm going to sell truffles like crazy for the next two weeks. On top of which, I am also auctioning myself off for charity, and the hope of which is that hopefully, with any luck at all, myself will be able to contribute close to eight to ten thousand dollars when it's all said and done. Um, so, wow. folks, if you're listening, the three things you need to do is buy my damn truffles because they're really kick ass. And Phil will tell you, not all of them get a ring, but Phil did. You might, you might so, yes, get a ring. You buy never truffles. Know. <laughs> you might get a ring. You never know. 
So that's an absolutely yeah. awesome thing. Second of all, to anybody that is listening in, and I have made a point of saying this on my Facebook page, I don't care if you can't donate $5. What you can do is share and share and share and share and share the page because somebody else could afford $5, $10, $20, $50, whatever. Every single dollar makes sense. Every single dollar means life to another person. And that is something that is far more significant to me than I can possibly tell you. So you need to share the page. I'll be continuing to share the GoFundMe page. I will be continuing to do anything and everything that I can do at every single free five seconds that I have to make sure that I accomplish this goal. And I cannot say thank you enough to, before I forget, Tori, my intern, has done a wonderful job so far being able to help me expedite on this cause. So I thank you so very much uh, for all of those efforts. I also want to not forget, and I'm sure you agree with me, Phil, Dave Diller at the Saloon on Calhoun has done leaps and bounds for fundraising for music, for live music. He plays for, you know, he plays himself. He obviously supports live and local music. He supports all sorts of different fundraisers. So, Dave Diller, you are a class act. And I've told him that to his face, but I'm saying that publicly so everyone can hear it. Please, if you live in the Wisconsin area, do support Saloon on Calhoun because he is a number one supporter of all these souls. Support him back. I would appreciate that greatly. So... Phil, yes. we're on to you. I oh. get to tell you and my listening audience what I think of you. <gasps> now, don't worry, because I've had hours to prepare for this, too. So <laughs> I've been trying very hard, <laughs> and I know it's going to come here. So I'm going to be a really big girl um, and do this. So, folks, these are my thoughts and impressions of Phil. Um, these are just my personal reflections on what I know, what I've heard, what I've seen, and what I've come to learn about the man that I've been so fortunate to interview today. Um, I won't lie that the very first time that I met Phil, I don't even think he knew who the hell I was. Not that I'm surprised. I mean, I'm only a Facebook friend, and he knows what I look like. But I don't think we had ever formally met up until the point in time that I came to see him play or I'd seen him play before. In any case, Amber recognized me, his girlfriend, first, which is really cool. And um, we got into talking. And sometimes, you know, you can be friends with someone for a while and not really know them. And you meet them, and you get a sense of who they are in the first 10 minutes or 20 minutes, and you become touched by something that they say, something that they do. So let me tell you what I was touched by most when I first met Phil. He had this sense about him that his spirit is so alive and so welcoming. He's very tender without knowing it. He's very kind without having to show it. It's a look in his eye. It's a gesture with his hand. It's the way that he hugs you, the way that he looks at you, the way that he smiles at you that stands out and makes you feel like you're a special person. It draws you in and it makes you want to know him more. One of the things that I have been most captivated about in this blooming friendship that we have is that he has this amazing sense of humor and what I call polypositive Phil. No no matter what, no matter how bleak things are, no matter how dark they seem to appear, he's so positive and he's so certain that things are going to be great. And he's got his downtimes and his moments, but his positivity keeps everyone else around him just as positive. He's very strong in his conviction that he will survive, that he will bring benefits to other lives. He has no idea why it is that I keep calling him my hero all the time. Well, you got on this show because any person who inspires, educates, motivates is a celebrity to me. You are all three of these things. You have educated me about what it means to value life. You have inspired me to make every moment count because you may not have as many moments as I. You motivate me to want to help you because I can't imagine my life without you. You had something written on your Facebook page 
and it was an expression, and it said something that said, I love you. As time goes by, I might say it less, but I mean it more. I haven't known you long enough to be able to say it all the time, but my hope is that today will be the first time I get to say I love this person on the phone, and I hope I get to say it for 40 more years. And I just want you to know that you matter, and I won't fail you. And I'm very blessed that you've come on my show. Hello. Oh, what, what wow, that was rough, hey? Eh? Gosh, making me cry. Now I got to go to the frozen food section again. <laughs> I knew it, damn it. I, I didn't mean to do it. I could help myself. That was hard, you know? I mean, it's tough to kind of go through that stuff, you know what I mean, man? But that's okay. I'm sure I'll talk about the Packers in about five minutes, so I'll go back to normal. It's okay. <laughs> But those are my impressions of this good man. To those of you that have never met him before, uh, you should make it a point to do so. He's a pretty amazing, incredible person, and um, I need your help. I need every single person who is listening to me to help me because it's obvious if I am doing this much work, it must matter a great deal to me, or he must matter a great deal. And before I forget, not only do I have to thank you, but lastly, your counterpart, uh, my dear Amber. This is what I want to say to her, because hopefully she'll eventually get to hear this. But all I can say is this. You're slowly but surely becoming quite the inspiration to me as well. Strength of character, strength in mind, and strength in heart is the three things that I think of when I think of her. You're quite the role model, my young lady, and I'm very proud of you. And I want you to know that I love you and you have my support. And I thank you so much for everything that you're doing for my new friend. I cannot thank (laughs) you enough along with the rest of the community, everyone who's given donations, everyone who listens to the show, everybody who's been a part of his journey. I cannot thank you, thank you, thank you enough. Um, yeah, so that's, whew, wow. so that's it. Wow. You, you, you summed it up so well, Cindy. I mean, all the things that you said about uh, Amber are, you know, they're all true, and uh, I'm yeah. just fortunate enough to have her in my life. Yeah, you ain't lying. She's quite the treasure and quite the blessing. And I'm sorry I've kept you so long, but you know what? Didn't it just seem like it was yesterday? I mean, like, this was, like, so comfortable. See? It's not so bad being yeah, on the show. very. I don't think. I didn't get you upset again, did I? No, <laughs> no, I but at least I'm in a crying. park this time. I'm in a park this time, so I'm not in a public, I'm not in a public place. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not in a grocery store or something, you know, so <sighs> it's, a, it's a little oh bad. It's a little easier. Absolutely wonderful. My gosh. All right. Well, I'm going to let you go do your thing because I have to go with my lovely, beautiful children very shortly. But I cannot thank you enough for taking this time. And just so that everybody that you know knows, your fans, your friends, everybody, two hours after we did this show, it becomes archived. So anybody can go back to that link that I had or you can repost or I'm sure I'll repost it. And people can go back and they can listen in and, and you know, hear our interview, of course. And just so everybody knows, uh, I'm a little behind schedule because I was sick last week. But I am also going to be doing a written article that's going to be submitted to all sorts of publications all across the place, New York, California, Chicago. Hopefully people get a, an understanding of, of the necessity here or the need here and that they step up and help as well. So I don't want to forget about that, and I'll send that to you when that's done. But otherwise, we did okay. great. This was awesome. Wow. Wow, Cindy. That's, uh, I, I appreciate you know everything that you've done so far. And, and uh, <sighs> to, uh, to reach out to your, to your, your listeners has been uh, just, you know, just remarkable. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, I didn't do anything. I'm just being a friend. It's what any person should do for another human being. Just get the damn heart. You're a a very good friend. (laughs) Thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right, get the hell off my phone. I got to talk to them about you a little (laughs) bit, and um, I'll be in touch very soon, dear. Okay. Thanks, Cindy. All right. Thanks, dear. Okay.
Now, do you understand why people see this is exactly what I'm talking about? Now, you know why I called him my hero. Sorry, I got a little choked up there, but I kind of knew that was going to happen. Again, my big great thanks to Phil, of course, along with Amber, of course, along with Dave and everyone else for listening in. One more time as a reminder, his Facebook personal page, it's Phil, M-A-R-I-C-H, and then base, B-A-S-S. He is also part of the Rhythm Kings Band, which, again, is in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It's uh, Instagram at at Phil Merch, M-A-R-I-C-H. And then he is also on Google Plus and LinkedIn. Obviously, the GoFundMe page is the most crucial. Um, we're only at 2580 actually, a little less than 2600 We need to step it up to get it to that 12000 So you heard all the different things I'm willing to do. Please be willing to go ahead and at least share the link or talk to someone about it or donate $5 or get five people to donate $5. Whatever you can do would be more than appreciated. So my great thanks to everybody that's involved in participating in this venture of mine. Again, don't want to forget to remind everybody I'm off here now for the next two days. Coming back on Friday the 30th, Steve Nagy, N-A-G-Y, the author, 2 o'clock Central Standard Time. Also don't want to forget to remind everybody that Thursday, and I'll be posting this information up again on my page, George Christie, my interview from the other week, the former Hell's Angel leader, we're going to be having a book signing, and I believe that's in Hollywood, but I'll be sure to post it. And if those of you are in Hollywood on Friday, my dear friends, Johnny Greenlaw, Bill Servino, and Gina Scarda, along with many others, are in the independent film Mommy's Box, which is being shown in Hollywood. It's the premiere. And that's on Friday in Hollywood, which I'm going to try. We'll see if I can get there or not. Okay, everybody, I'm going to let you off the hook so I can go get my beautiful babies. Thank you so much for listening in, and I'll see you on Friday.